Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss poisoning the DNS well. Next up, keep it on the DLL. And of course, our delightful game, Two Truths and a Lie. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 120, recorded on May 9th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Kelsey. Make a pun for it, LaBelle. With me, co-host Tim, there's not much that a little DLL bow grease can't fix. Helming. And last but not least, Taylor, would you guess it's DNS Wilkes Pierce? Well, hello. Welcome back. I I would always guess that it's DNS, as a matter of fact. <laughs> it's good to be back. Because let's all say it, it's always, always DNS. DNS. We should recognize that was actually my, my first slide at my first in-person presentation in two and a half years this past week at the Wild West Hacking Fest in sunny San Diego. Taylor, Excellent. how was that? Oh, it was so great to look out and see people in person um, and to have audio uh, visual problems for five minutes before my presentation began. It was great. That's the well, mark of a good presentation. Before it began, uh, does that mean like at T minus five minutes or does that mean that like there were five minutes of there was about five minutes or so at the beginning? Actually, yeah, we had to go through two dongles and a couple of wireless networks and then we got it all sorted out. Yeah. <laughs> was that DNS? Um, no, in that case, no, I, I don't believe that the, that the, the crappy dongles were DNS. <laughs> no, the, the crappy dongles, not, but maybe the wireless. Networks. Oh, potentially. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have time to do a root cause analysis there. I just said, <laughs> okay, you know what? I know it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad you made it back safe and sound. It must be so nice to be in, um, a much less sunny Seattle. I'm imagining. Yeah, we're really extending our winter through, looks like it'll probably be end of May, maybe into January. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I said to Holly, we've been dismayed. Oh, that's that's perfect. That's exactly wow. what happened. We, we were disapriled, too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We were Ben Apriled. <laughs> He's our chief architect, Ben April, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> gets, gets a shout out on the pod. Shout out. Well, he runs He's Reflect a jolly and good Amplify. Fellow. He is. He really is. That nobody can deny. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I guess let's let's talk some security. There's been some stuff happening this week. Has there not? No. No, I don't think anything. No, I think the whole security world <laughs> took a week off, right? Yeah. They were all at Wild West Hacking Fest. You know, they yeah, respect yeah. that. Have some time. Enjoy the sunshine. Get a surfing. <laughs> it's kind of their, their vibe for sure. Oh, in all seriousness, of course, we're going to be talking about some DNS. So poisoning the DNS well, our first article for this week's podcast. So a flaw in all versions of the popular C standard libraries, which I believe is pronounced UC libc um, mm -hmm. and UC libc ng can allow Next for gen. Next gen. <laughs> uh, they can allow for DNS poisoning attacks against target devices. So, Taylor, how exactly would you describe a DNS poisoning attack for someone who, who may be unfamiliar with that term? Sure. Yeah. So for a DNS poisoning attack, you're, you're uh, 
adversary or attacker uh, can kind of trick a DNS client into accepting uh, improper responses uh, and then kind of sending folks uh, to an actor or a malicious controlled server uh, and serving up malicious content uh, in instead of the the proper stuff that you're looking to get. Um, so it's kind of like step one, and then you can do a lot of man in the middle stuff after there. Um, but essentially you are kind of using the properties of DNS against uh, a machine, kind of getting in between uh, legitimate responses and, the, and your malicious responses and, and delivering folks to the wrong place. Ah, supply chain issue. Just deliver them to the to the wrong place, right? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. same thing. That's what people have been talking about. Exactly. Yep. I knew it. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> so, how exactly was the flaw in this instance discovered? Yeah. So this is a fun one. The, the folks over at Nozomi Networks uh, published this. Uh, they've got a, um, hang on here. <laughs> they are CV 2022-3295. Uh, uh, so you can go take a look at that. Has not been rated by folks yet. Uh, I guess there'll be folks that'll be looking at that to kind of determine uh, its potential level of impact and all of that good stuff. But they were uh, testing a an IoT device uh, in their labs and they're looking at trace traces uh, in Wireshark of DNS requests, uh, and then notice some patterns in the DNS requests and, and notice that um, those aforementioned standard libraries, uh, the ulibc and ulibc uh, NextGen or NG, um, that have been in use and kind of haven't really been touched in a long time, looks like about 10 years or so, uh, that those libraries were making it predictable to see uh, like what the requests, uh, what the next request was going to be assigned to in terms of the the, the kind of internal uh, ID for that request. And so if you can predict it, then you can spoof it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so they, they kind of d- discovered that um, maybe not on accident, but, uh, you know, it's just some oddities from some Internet of Things testing in their lab. And everyone knows that the S in Internet of Things stands for security. <laughs> well, I'm guessing this uh, this made news, so it's it's probably uh, no small thing. That's one of my favorite idioms that my father-in-law uses. Um, it's typically in reference to a person of like, whatever's wrong with them is no small thing, but whatever is wrong <laughs> with this vulnerability or this flaw is no small thing. So, how many devices are effective to our knowledge? Tough to say. Um, you know, they're saying many millions. Uh, you know, when you look at like some of the stuff that has been using this, uh, using these libraries or would have used these libraries in the past. So like the the like open WRT project, um, you know, which has been providing kind of open source uh, routing firmware and software for a while. Uh, you know, they say that they dropped off of that off of ulibc and ulibcng uh, a while back. Um, but certainly there are many millions of devices that are leveraging this, you know, the, the vendor list that they gave is like, you know, uh, Linksys and Netgear and a few others. So, you know, some, some names you might've heard of, <laughs> um, but then certainly could be in, you know, baked into a ton of devices around the world. Baked in gosh, a lot of this podcast does tie back to cookies. Um, but it might be because I had some crumble cookies this weekend and literally mm. every instinct now ties to cookies. If you have so any the cookie left, crumbles, will be right over. <laughs> I wonder if crumble cookie cookied me. I'm assuming they did when I visited 
their website. Um, all right. Well, let's see here, Taylor. Um, <laughs> as we know from the log for shelf law back in December, um, not to re-traumatize everyone here listening in, <laughs> Uh, but this is not the first time there's been a DNS vulnerability. So what makes DNS so very ripe for attackers? You know, I think part of it is that it is open and unencrypted for the most part, right? So you can read it and look at it, um, you know, on the wire. And so part of it is also, it is incredibly powerful. Um, you know, it kind of gets around a lot of other security controls, uh, you know, due to its base nature. Uh, like it's so kind of core to what folks are using when they're looking something up or when a program is doing a lookup and trying to find stuff, um, you know, it relies on DNS quite a bit uh, so that, you know, it can, it can get where it needs to go. And so, you know, a couple of combinations there allow it to be um, kind of used in, in a lot of different scenarios. Um, so, you know, if you can kind of control DNS, you can control how uh, folks interact with the outside world and what they interact with uh, when they go there. The outside world. <laughs> <laughs> so, Taylor, what what is next? Have there been any steps to mitigation? What's what's the happens you here? Know, yeah, it's an interesting one. So, there's no mitigations uh, that have been placed out. They they kind of reached out. It's this like the bug. Their discovery of this actually dates back to kind of mid to late 2021. So, they've been at the disclosure side of things for a while, and they're kind of working with the maintainers of the ULIB and ULIBC and ULIBCNG projects. What they're finding is that the maintainers are not particularly interested in going back and opening up and fixing some of this stuff. You know, the, like some of this is mitigated uh, by the operating system. That the, so, the operating systems are going to do kind of port randomization around the request. So, you've got to know kind of what port it's, it's listening on. Um, so, you know, there are some ways to get around that in this attack by kind of flooding the zone with a bunch of different stuff, maybe brute forcing um, and trying to figure out what port the OS is going to use next. You've also got to beat the valid DNS request back, uh, response back to the device. Um, so, you know, it, it's not like a very trivial thing to exploit, uh, at least right now. Um, you know, but I think the, the when you look at this stuff, like IoT devices are going to be out there for a long time. This stuff could be baked in there and folks have a lot of time to, to bang their heads at it, uh, try, and, try and make that work. But yeah, no, no mitigations in place today that like from that would directly patch this type of thing. This is not the first time this has popped up. I think folks have been dealing with this type of deserialization, deserialization uh, stuff with DNS for, I don't, forever now. Um, so, you know, this is kind of the, the latest version of those. But again, the, the OS will help out quite a bit here with the port randomization well thank you taylor and we'll we'll keep an eye on this as we do just one um there's so much always going on here but with that i think this segues quite nicely into our hoodie rating system um, which is from zero to ten ten is very bad zero is is kind of neutral water cooler talk as i like to call it um, and hoodies are, of course, playing on the cliche of a hacker. So how many defenders would it really take to solve the problem? The higher the number, um, it, how many hoodies does it take to change a light bulb? That should be one of our, actually, questions that we ask here, too. Uh, but, or it could go on a t-shirt. Oh, it should. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. All right. Well, Tim, why don't you start off here with your rating based on uh, Taylor's analysis? Yeah, you know... The what I feel like we're going to find out about uh, at some point down the road is, oh, whoops, it looks like thus and such 
IoT device, which is super common, and there are millions of them out there, does not randomize its ports, even though more modern OSs always do. Uh, if that turned out to be the case, this would be more worrisome than it is. As Taylor pointed out, exploiting this thing is not exactly a layup. And um, if you're trying to guess the port number when it truly is randomized by sending in a big flood of responses, that's the kind of network traffic uh, anomaly that is discoverable if you're doing network traffic analysis on your DNS, which, of course, we always recommend that people do. So both hard to exploit potentially or somewhat hard to exploit and um, definitely catchable or at least visible, even if you can't necessarily do something about it immediately when you see that happening, um, it puts you in a much better position to be able to see it. So I'm going to say... I'm going to say four right now. Um, I'm kind of between four and five. Oh, what the heck? I haven't done a, a partial hoodie. 4.5. Four hoodies and 500 milli hoodies. Ah, the milli hoodies have made their triumphant return. Yes. <laughs> All right, Taylor. If you agree with Tim on your hoodie rating, you're going to have to come up with a different description of the half hoodie. That, them are the rules. I, I don't make them up. That's just what the no, people that's... want. I get it. Like I, you know, this is, this is of my own making. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I'm kind of with Tim. I, I'm honestly, maybe it's just tricky. Cause Tim, you're right. Like the, 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 the longer term play here is what gets interesting about this. Cause maybe, yeah, it doesn't, nothing presents itself immediately right now. But again, when, when we say baked in, like some of this stuff is baked into a device and can never really be updated or was not really designed to be updated in a lot of ways. So like the, kind of longer term for this uh, will be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, I'm probably a little bit lower. I'm just, you know, I'm going to go just four hoodies. Like we're not going to go any half hoodies or nothing. I know this is weird for me, but we're going to go just the four hoodies, um, uh, you know, and keep an eye on this one. Uh, you know, if there's some interesting POCs that get dropped out in the wild or, or you know, device, like specific devices that uh, kind of lend themselves, maybe they're, uh, the processing power is a little lower. Maybe they have a little less RAM. Uh, you know, the, those are the ones that might be a little more vulnerable to something like this. You know, that'll be interesting to see going forward. But yeah, I think four hoodies for me. Four hoodies. All right. I'll take that. I'll accept that, Taylor. You, you get one integer hoodie. <laughs> yeah, um, a full. The rest, I don't know. Um, <laughs> one thing I do want to note, though, just like in looking at the write-up on this, right, like, uh we have these 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 projects as open source projects like you libc you libc ng uh that you know are can be kind of part of critical infrastructure in some ways uh that you know where you've got folks that haven't maintained something in a long time or you know there's not a huge impetus for them to go and change things um you know i think that that the longer term we're seeing or, or kind of a broader thing we're seeing uh I'd say not issues around open source utilization in, in these things that we saw with like log4j, <laughs> uh, but like the, the longer tail uh, of the supply chain that we, that we find ourselves in in software development, I think is, is kind of rearing its ugly head time and time again and asking, you know, one or two maintainers to try and keep on top of everything. is just not a, um, a great solution or a scalable solution. And, and the other thing that you have to keep in mind whenever it's IoT is that patching those devices uh, is not always trivial, um, nope. partly because of their numbers and partly because when you're talking, and unfortunately, this is where it intersects with like critical infrastructure, 
because if it turns out that some of these affected devices are in critical infrastructure, sometimes you have things that are, and I've mentioned this before, but like you have something that's uh, in a way remote, uh, unstaffed station, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, and it's sitting at the end of a 128K line, which does happen, uh, actually more often than you might expect. And um, sending down those patches is not trivial. And it's the kind of thing where you're at risk. If, if the patch borks the device, then you could have a serious problem. Um, so in a lot of cases, the patching will be done on site, and that's tricky. So, you know, it really it kind of depends on what IoT devices it is in particular. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it, and hopefully it doesn't turn out as bad as some versions of this scenario could possibly. Now, I have to imagine there are plenty of vendors out there that help manage keeping things patched. And at trade shows, I'm, I'm assuming they give out really cool patches, like physical patches. If that is not happening, I'm incredibly disappointed. And actually, when I'm at RSA, I'm going to go search for those. And then I'm going to provide that idea with some constructive feedback if that's well, not being leveraged. You know, their patches could include a QR code where it downloads the real patch. Of course, then that's on your phone. What good does that do you? <laughs> yeah, what if I can get in between that request? <laughs> not only that, Taylor. no security person is, is going to scan the QR code anyway. No. <laughs> well, thank you both for your rigor and your perspectives on this topic. We're going to take a brief break and come back with our next article of the week. Stay tuned. All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back. Our next topic of discussion here, now that we've had ourselves a little sip of water, is on um, on DLL. So keep it on the DLL is the name of this particular article and discussion. But I, I just can't help but think. Whenever I see DLL, I want to say, and then that makes me think of flow cloud rat or flow cloud for short as our DJ um, from our last episode. So I just can imagine like DJ flow cloud So that's my formal introduction into this article. I, how can I follow that? <laughs> I mean, that's like, I don't know if you dropped your mic. It didn't sound like it. <laughs> I don't have any mics that live near me. Otherwise I would drop one. Um, but, uh, let's see. Yeah, that's, I know that's probably enough information for everyone. They know exactly what we're talking about, but I'll I'll just give a little description just in case. So hackers commonly exploit vulnerabilities in corporate networks to gain access, but a researcher has turned the table by finding exploits in the most common ransomware and malware being distributed today. Well, Tim, to quote the narrator from the Grinch, Those hacker groups thought they were so smart and so slick, but it sounds like a number of them have left themselves open to attack themselves. So can you talk about what exactly was discovered here? Yes. 
I love this story uh, when I saw it because, to be honest, you know, I've been so worried, so busy worrying about weaknesses in beneficial software to actually stop and think about, well, what happens when there are flaws in malcode? But that's exactly what we're looking at here. So everybody give it up for a security researcher named Hyperlinks, and that's uh, Hyper, uh, the uh, three instead of the E in Hyper, so it would definitely be found by Iris Detects typo algorithms, but I digress. Anyway, that researcher, Hyperlinks, found that samples of code uh, common to some obscure little operations called Conti, ring a bell, Revel, Lockbit, uh, Evos Locker, and then sort of this uh, more up-and-comer called Black Basta. These were all vulnerable to DLL hijacking. (laughs) You hate to see it. Oh, I mean, you love to see it. I feel like Hyperlinks, another good DJ name. Um, yeah, I, I, this all ties together, I'm sure. I want it to be Hyper L-Y-N-X. It's like a you know a predatory cat mm-hmm. that's on Adderall. I want to see that on a patch. I'd, or an I'd, antiquated I'd, gaming I'd... machine. <laughs> Console. Or the browser that doesn't have any pictures. Oh, yeah. You know, if somebody ever tries to control me, I might want to look at them and say, I cannot be consoled um, or console, oh, like a game console. Yes, Tim, yes. you just, you edit that out if that wasn't good enough um, to make the episode. <laughs> what happens if you get Konami coded? Oh, by the that way, sounds that's like a still sick burn. an Easter egg that works in, uh, on domain tools. And so that would be some people listening to this might, find that kind of fun just i'll mention it again the konami code and that's all i'll say oh fascinating okay well (laughs) in the meantime while you're looking that up i'm just giving everybody a quick pause to do so if they would like um so uh, similar to what we just talked about with dns poisoning taking it back to dll hijacking for those who do not know what that is how does it work Well, let's start with a little DLL 101. So DLL stands for Dynamic Link Library, and DLLs are some of the fundamental building blocks of modern Microsoft code, uh, among others. But uh, DLL has some benefits in terms of efficiency and flexibility. So they provide the standard benefits of shared libraries, uh, DLL being a specific flavor of shared libraries, um, such as modularity. And modularity allows changes to be made Uh, to code and data that a single self-contained DLL shared by several applications, um, or I think I said that wrong, hang on. Modularity allows changes to be made to code and data in a single self-contained DLL that's shared by several applications uh, without any change to the applications themselves. So DLLs are pretty key to a lot of complex software and operating systems. Now, What's DLL hijacking? Well, it exploits the way that those applications search for and load into memory the DLL files they need. If the software has insufficient checks to ensure that this can't happen, then it can load a DLL from a path outside its directory, uh, elevating privileges or executing unwanted code. And you can imagine the havoc that could wreak in Windows. Well, it wreaks havoc with these vulnerable ransomwares as well. Ah, to wreak havoc. Not, not, not a good thing. So how exactly did this security researcher implement this method? 
Yeah, well, we've so we've established that the DLL concept means that a piece of code will call various libraries in order to function. So it searches these libraries in specific paths or directories, and then it runs them uh, when needed. So the concept is actually pretty simple. It involves replacing a required DLL file with an infected version and placing that within the search parameters of an application. So the infected file will be called upon when the application loads, uh, uh, which activates its operations. So what we saw from this researcher was a demo video. It's up on YouTube, uh, and our link in the show notes will, will get you there. Um, but where they replaced a file called, I think it was netapp32.dll, uh, with their own version of it. And so then they run Conti, and what you see is that Conti runs, but it doesn't execute correctly. And so there are some TXT files that say, like, encryptme.txt, uh, which it's supposed to encrypt, but they don't get encrypted. And so... And then just for the sake of completeness in the video, the researcher deletes the manipulated DLL uh, and then reruns Conti, and that time the encryption does happen the way it's designed to. Nice. And just for clarification, this solution isn't necessarily a silver bullet to solve all problems of malware forever, right? I mean, we're not saying we solve this, now we can all just, just go home. Well, I mean, then we, we wouldn't have jobs, I suppose, in some way. No, uh, no obviously that's not the case. So um, it's just like, you know, if you if that were the case, it would be the same as saying when DLL hijacking vulnerabilities are discovered in legit Windows applications, they those can be patched to prevent this um, by having more stringent verification of the libraries that are called. So, yeah, it's only a matter of time before these ransomwares get patched too. But in the near term, uh, you know, this could be helpful to some folks as a preventive measure. And and by the way, it's worth noting that this disrupts the encryption. So if it's a double extortion ransomware, certainly the files could still be exfiltrated and show up on those forums for sale and all the nasty that, that uh, happens from there. But, you know, preventing the decryption certainly, or the encryption rather, would certainly help in uh, keeping your operations going a little bit better than they would otherwise. Thanks, Tim. And, and, you know, obviously that was a joke about going home because we all work from home now anyways. <laughs> Good point. Uh, but, uh, what, you know, what's next here? Because obviously this isn't going to solve the problem of malware, <laughs> to your point. So where can we learn more about what Hyperlinks is working on um, to benefit from their efforts here? Yeah, so, you know, this process of finding vulnerabilities in malcode and exploiting, that seems to be Hyperlinks' stock and trade. They have a site called malvuln.com where they document these findings, and there are a bunch of them there. I didn't count them, but, you know, let's just say there's a lot of scrolling on their homepage as you go down the list of wares that they claim to have, have exploited. Now, of course, there's a downside here as well. Um, what's the opposite of a silver lining, like a mud lining? I don't know. Uh, but And the <laughs> downside is that you know how malcode authors will QA their versions against detection by submitting them to virus total? Well, in a way, this is like another benevolent service that will be exploited by threat actors um, by, you know, all they have to do is run down the list and find out what was vulnerable and, and so that gives them at least, uh, if not the directions on how to patch, because it doesn't quite exactly do that, but at least it tells them where they, where they got some work to do. But nevertheless, I was really happy to see this story um, and to go out on a limb a little bit. You know, what we can hope is that 
this kind of work might pave the way for discovery of vulnerabilities that will be harder for the malcode authors to patch. So we'll hope so anyhow. We shall always have hope. <laughs> well, this to bring cookies back into the conversation, which I which I intend to do at least once an episode now. Um, the opposite of a hoodie, the antithesis, if you will, is a goodie. And I like to think of goodies as the nice warm chocolate chip cookies um, because they are delicious. Does so, Mrs. Fields' website have two kinds of cookie policies? <laughs> oh, well played. <laughs> yep, it says accept all and then ship all to your house. Okay, yeah, that's a little different. That's hilarious. Um, excellent. Well, I, I feel like I'm potentially biasing the ratings here, but um, I'm going to ask Taylor, I'm going to start with you now that um, the fantastic Tim Helming has walked it, us through to keep it on the DLL, what you would rate this at on either the, the hoodie or the warm cookie goodie scale. I, you know, I suppose this is kind of goodie, goodie scale, right? Am I wrong here? The choice is up to you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think it's um, it's interesting. It's, again, going to be part of, part of the cat and mouse that folks will be playing with these groups, as they always have. Um, I don't know. Let's give it uh, let's give it two goodies. Excellent. From Mrs. Warm Fields. cookies from Mrs. To that Fields. researcher. Okay. If you had had the crumble cookie I had this weekend, these would be crumble cookies. Oh, yeah, she's um, saying, okay. All right. Well, I'll defer to you then, unless we can get Mrs. Fields on the line and have her commit to cooking the proper cr cr crumble cookie. Crumble cookie, yeah. no E. Yeah. And getting that over to these folks. Yeah. You know, if some places have the chain called Specialties and they have these cookies that I, I think they weigh about a quarter of a pound each. Tim, oh I'm going to give you some bad news. What, they go out of business or something? They went out of business in the pandemic. They did, did they really? Yeah. I think the cookies were just too heavy. The trucks were breaking down constantly. Price of gas and all that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Their margins might have been low on those things because they had packed a lot of I mean, it was like the neutron star of cookies. It was very high density. Six dollars well, <laughs> worth of butter into a three dollar cookie. Yeah. That now that they're out of business, maybe they've open sourced their uh, recipe for those things. They were really you good. Check. Oh, well, uh, we'll light a candle for the specialties yeah. cookie bomb. <laughs> all right tim what would you rate this at <laughs> like, get back on track uh yeah i uh i'll go three goodies i think it's just because i want more cookies uh i'm gonna go with three goodies uh, it's not huge i like the work being done here it's not a game changer but it's creative and uh you know maybe as i said maybe it'll lead the the way toward even more uh good vulnerability exploitation of malcode three goodies three goodies only integers today folks i think if we all had more goodies wow more I mean, cookies I could, have said, I could have said two goodies and 100 centi goodies <laughs> okay i'm into that the centi goodies <laughs> well we're gonna take a quick break um we're going to go buy cookies at our sponsor, Crumble Cookies and Mrs. Fields. Love at first bite. Uh, just kidding. We don't have any sponsors, but we're probably all going to take a sip of milk and some cookies, and we'll be right back.
All right, all right, all right. Hopefully people have cookies in their belly and we're up for our weekly game, Two Truths and a Lie. So um, if, if you've listened in before, you're very familiar with this, but we always like to describe it for folks joining us or coming back after a hiatus, if you will, of Breaking Badness. But similar to the game Two Truths and a Lie, uh, we are going to share one of us co-hosts, Two Truths and a Lie, but rather than talk about ourselves, we're instead going to talk about what happened this week in security. Three byline article titles will be things that in fact happened, and one will be a lie. And I believe Taylor is up this week trying to fool Tim and I, and there is a point system, and there are winners, and there are losers, and there are liars. All right. Well, let's get into it. Okay, so I've, I've collected uh, two headlines and then made up one of my own. Uh, here, I'll go with the first headline here. Uh, or is the one I made up? I don't know. Breach at IKEA Canada exposes 95,000 customer records, 5,000 of which are tied to folks lost in stores right now. My second <laughs> headline. APT Group compromises espresso, espresso machines to maintain persistence and alertness. And number three, OPSEC fail as scammer installs spyware on own machine, revealing true identity to researchers. Wow, these are are funny. Wait, did you you, um, put together these titles yourself or is this actually? Yes, I rewrote the titles. I I took a page from y'all and I rewrote the titles uh, because mine were getting too easy. (laughs) I was just giving y'all free points every week. Wow, these are all really good. I don't know if I've come across any of those three, which concerns me. Tim, do you have any guesses? Well, I've come across one of them, but I don't remember enough specifics to know if this is one of those ones where, in a sneaky way, uh, Taylor has fabricated an aspect of the story to make it false where the underlying part was. Okay. I will true. say that, that there are not 5,000 folks that are lost in Ikea Canada stores. I mean, maybe right now, I it's, don't know. It's, it's 10,000. <laughs> yeah, it's even more. They're looking for meatballs. <laughs> uh, you know, I like those little wormholes that they have through the Ikea labyrinth mm-hmm. so that you can, can get to other parts of it. Quicker. The warp tunnels. Yeah. The warp tunnels. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with, what was the second one again? It was APT Group Compromises Espresso Machines to Maintain Persistence and Alertness. Right. Wow. I, I'm going to go with that one. I don't know why. I, uh, it's, everything's connected. It's all internet of not security. Um, but I'm going to go with that one. Hmm. Man, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna double down because I think based on how much defenders rely on caffeine, they'd uh, there'd be a real grind, if will, to to fix that issue um, or to protect the fidelity of the espresso machine. So I'm gonna say that's the lie too. Yeah, yeah and no, also it would be huge news, right? I mean, like that's that would be because caffeine is the lifeblood of this industry. Like, I mean, that would, it wouldn't make the New York Times. Okay. But it would be, <laughs> I feel like it would be a giant story. I don't know. We'll yeah. Find out that, in a moment. that, that fictionalized headline was indeed too good to be true. <gasps> you mean 
too bad to be true, right, Taylor? <laughs> right, Taylor? Well, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the the writing of it. <laughs> but, but so that means that some researcher did expose their own identity, which is, I mean, some some scam actor, some scammer uh-huh. did. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's give that ten goodies. <laughs> that's some yeah, some good news this week. The coffee machines, to our knowledge, good scammer puts himself on blast. Good, excellent. <laughs> but the IKEA thing—that's that's real, then, huh? Ah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, IKEA Canada did did reveal a breach. Maybe that was the thing. Records... I remember seeing the. I remember seeing the story. I just couldn't remember the Canada part. Mm. Hopefully their records are expressed similarly to um, the way you put together pieces of furniture and maybe it's impossible mm-hmm. to connect the PII. So there, yeah, there's hope. Yeah, little You've got to have a bunch of Allen keys, Allen yeah. wrenches. To... <laughs> <laughs> That's how they put the database table together. Now, what is a, a Swedish for Allen? <laughs> Oh, Isn't it just question. Alan with some diacritical marks on some of the letters? <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> There's definitely a lingonberry sauce on top. Oh, um, perhaps as, as we finish this week's episode, I'll share a joke that was recently, um, that really, it got me recently. And my mother-in-law said, hey, did you hear about the um, <laughs> the the Norwegian... Navy and they put these barcodes on their ships. And I was like, no, no, I have not. That sounds like a terrible security decision. She said, yeah. So they could Scandinavian. <laughs> Beep. Oh yeah. Your your in-laws sound like fun. They are. <laughs> No, I mean that sincerely. They, they, they I mean, they, they come through with the they pun jokes for you. That's pretty great. They did. <laughs> oh boy. Well, there I were think these uh, these crazy paint schemes on some ships. These crazy camouflage schemes. It's called dazzle camouflage, which you would think would never work because you would think it makes them stand out uh, incredibly against the background but it, they seem to work so you could look that up some of them almost look like barcodes fascinating i'm gonna look that up later to me that sounds like and this is how ludicrous my brain is and how it works that there would be like something covert happening and then there would be like the technology equivalent of jazz hands happening like over there to distract um that's that's what dazzle camouflage right. sounds hey, like to hey, me this is the thing this is it Shoot those torpedoes over here. Na 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 na. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've left me a lot to think about here between cookies, dazzle camouflage. Um <laughs> there, we're still gonna be pondering some of these things next week, I think. But um appreciate you all joining us for this 120th episode. Wow. Can't believe can't believe how far we've gotten. And we're gonna keep going. And we'll of course be back next week. You're stuck with us. We'll be here. Ready to talk about security. Hooray. We'll be breaking more badness. Wow, well said. All right, well, toodaloo, everyone. Bye-bye now. Thanks, y'all. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at Domain Tools. 
All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.